I'm going to raise my hand first. <laughs> okay, we do. We, we make mistakes every day. There are times when we start to say something that we think is going to be encouraging or uplifting or maybe humorous or funny, and we don't mean anything by it. True? Only to have it received and knock them over. <laughs> and you kind of scratch your head and you go... Because, see, it's not always what we've done. Sometimes it's in the ear of the receiver. But there are times when we've made mistakes, and sometimes those mistakes are what we consider to be large mistakes, and so we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. I think of the parents who've experienced deaths of their children, maybe through accidents or uh, what have you, and there's just there's years that they go wondering, what could I have done different? What could I have done to prevent this? I ran into this at 23 years old with a family whose 26-month-old son was dying of spinal meningitis. And we sat in the stairwell of St. Francis Hospital. And at 3 in the morning, he looked at me and he said, what did I do wrong? And God's taking my child. And I'm, I don't even have a good answer today, and I'm 56 years old. But at 23, I didn't have any answer. The only answer I could come up with was that, well, you know now what God felt like when he sent Jesus to die for us. I don't know if that was any help to him, but that's all that came out. There's time, and I know, I know, he's agonized over the years. What could I have done differently? Could we have created a better environment in our home? Could we have been cleaner? Could we have been more sanitary? Could we? That happens to us, doesn't it? First Timothy chapter one. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. First Timothy chapter one. We're going to be in verses twelve through seventeen. And I want us to read that together. I don't have it up on the, on the board. I just want you to, in your Bibles, read along with me. Mine will be a little different than yours. If you carry a King James Bible, I know that's the one that God would want you to read from. But if you'll allow me some, uh, if you'll allow me some leverage, I'll, I'll read out of a different one, but that's all right. I think we'll get the message together. We'll start at verse 12 in 1 Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that, came, that come from Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. And these two verses are my life verses. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with even the worst of sinners. And then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All glory and honor to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Amen and amen. After spending three years in Ephesus preaching, Paul left the church in the hands of a young preacher named Timothy. And you find that out in Acts chapter 19. Timothy was a young man in his first 
pastor role. He had encountered his share of problems. All preachers do. Young preachers especially. Because we really have no idea what to do. And what you discover is the longer you're at this, you still don't know what to do. But your reliance on God becomes so much greater. So much greater. He had to combat false teachers in the church. The rise of false doctrine. Disorder in the worship services. <laughs> the need to find or ordain qualified leaders and materialism in chapter 6. Not that any of those issues are prevalent in our churches today. In the midst of this, some people in the church consider Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 12 to be too young. See, you want a guy with 35 years of experience in a 22-year-old body. I'd like that myself. I'd do things a lot different if I had that option. Timothy was around 30 years old at this time. And the Greek society believed that a man came of age around the age of 40. And he was out preaching to the Gentiles. He did have a lot on his plate. It would seem from reading this book that he battled discouragement. Paul writes to encourage this preacher to continue to serve faithfully. He writes to challenge him to continue to grow in the Lord and to stand for the truth in spite of all of the opposition that he was facing. I've been there. You know I've been there. I'm so grateful for the times that you allow me refreshing. That you allow me to gain extra study. That you allow me to be involved in that so that I can grow. Because if I grow, then you will grow. That's the principle of Scripture. But he challenges him. Stay in there. And in an effort to accomplish his goal of encouraging this preacher, Paul uses his own life as an example of what Jesus can do through His grace and through His power. I mean, He says, hey, Timothy, look at me. Look at what Jesus has done for me. Paul knew that if Timothy could ever see that God could take a man like Paul with all of his baggage and save him by His grace and use him for His glory, then God could do a wonderful work through Timothy as well. If there's any legacy that a preacher should pass on to a younger generation of preachers, it's that, look, stick with it. Don't bail when things don't look good. When you have to face yourself and your weaknesses and your inadequacies and, oh, oh. And you dear people, you dear people have allowed me that opportunity to grow through them and still love me in spite of it. That's... That's huge. It's huge. But Paul's going to share a testimony with him in these verses that we just read on how can you forgive, how can I forgive myself? Well, first of all, he starts out with the testimony of a sinner in verse 13. 
He talks about the deeds of a sinner. He, he admits that he's a blasphemer. He had spoken evil and slandered the name of God. Uh, in, in doing so, he failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, according to Matthew 22 and verse 37. He was a persecutor and an injurious man, guilty of murder, hatred, and unspeakable acts of cruelty. Read that in Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 9. He failed to love your neighbor as yourself as Jesus commanded in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. He was a sinful man. He stood guilty before the Lord and he was religious. He was religious, but he was lost. I know a lot of religious people that are lost because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship is not going deeper where it needs to go. They're complacent to stay where they are. But before we come down too hard on Paul, we need to take a closer look at ourselves. <laughs> yeah, Paul was guilty. But you and I have got nothing to brag about. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I'll, I'll let you say amen. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Amen. Hallelujah. Go look in the mirror and realize and shout hallelujah. Because you see, we all deserve the penalty that sin brings according to Romans 3. But God found us in a sinful position. He, said, he found us there. He said, you're a sinner. All of you are sinners. And then he said, but guess what? I don't want anything to do with you. Sorry. Human. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a clever phrase. I don't have one. You old sorry humans. I don't want anything to do with you. Isn't that what God said? He found us in our sin and he said, you know, I love you so much. I'm going to send Jesus to die in your stead so you don't have to. I guess that's okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, the preacher's kind of getting cranked up there, isn't he? A little bit. Well, we ought to move on, I guess. Okay, well, we'll go to also in verse 13, we'll see the deception of the sinner. Paul says he did what he did in ignorance. It's hard to be honest, isn't it, when we make mistakes? It's hard. We don't want anybody to think lesser of us. Preachers have a real hard time with that. Paul wasn't making excuses. He was just simply stating a fact that he didn't really understand the ramifications of his actions. That hits us a lot. We don't always understand why we do what we do and the ramifications of what we do, but we always justify it so that we can go ahead and do it and we'll worry about the consequences later. And the consequences sometimes have devastating effects. He rejected Jesus and the gospel message. He was sincerely trying to earn his own salvation. You know anybody like that? Think they can work their way to heaven? 
Uh, preacher, I've served in 29 committees. I've been an elder with Moses. Now, you know, we, we start listing all these things that we've done for God, thinking God's going to go, See, I, I thought one time in my young preaching life that I would get to heaven and God would say, Whoo, you're finally here. You're finally here. Man, hey, folks, stop, stop, heaven, stop, stop. He's here. And then he'd look and say, now get out, you son. <laughs> hmm? Paul's life mirrors our own. According to the Bible, all lost sinners are blind to their condition. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says it this way, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They are, in fact, according to Ephesians 2.1, dead in trespasses and sin. None of us can see our condition or our need or the way out of hell until the Holy Spirit pricks us, drives us to our knees. The cross should drive you to your knees, but don't stay there. It's the problem. We get to the cross and we cling to the cross and we stay at the cross instead of getting up and living the resurrected life that Jesus called us to. We stay at the cross in death. Get out of death. You're into life now. Well, what if they're going to kill me, preacher? Shout hallelujah. They'll probably leave you alone until they think you're a lunatic. Well, we can't lock him up. He's, he's going to start winning people in prison. Novel idea. Hey, you know Rod, if you get put in prison, call Rod. He's ready to help you. All right. Verse 15, we see the diagnosis of the sinner. Paul sums it all up when he says, I'm the chief of sinners. He's saying, before Jesus saved me, I was as bad as a man could get. I am still wicked to the core of my being, but now I am saved. If you don't believe that, read Romans 7, especially verses 18 through 25, and you'll see what Paul's talking about. We all feel like Paul did from time to time. I look at my life. I see so much room for improvement. I see so much that needs to be changed, and I feel powerless to fix it. Our lives will never be the testimony we want it to be. It will always be a testimony of sinners. But the great news is we're not lost sinners any longer. We're sinners who've been made saints by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 says we have risen to walk in a new life. We're a new creature. Rejoice, Christian. Rejoice. If you have a relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, put a smile on your face. When the world says you're worthless, you can just smile at them because you know they're lying. <laughs> I'm going to take your life. See, that's the greatest fear we have is we're going to lose life. You don't lose this life. You gain when you lose this life. You gain. Isn't that awesome? If you could live like that, Live as though you're leaving here today. Woo, man, it'd revolutionize everything you do. Then back to verses 13 and 14, we see the testimony of this saint. 
What does it mean about this, about Paul's conversion? He tells us there are two great gifts from God that resulted from his salvation. Mercy and grace. In his mercy, God did not give Paul the condemnation and hell that he deserved. In grace, God gave him the perfect salvation that he did not deserve as well. Moms know about grace and mercy. Dads like to have no grace and no mercy. You remember growing up, mother would say, wait till your father gets home. You lived in fear. You shuddered in fear until that moment that the car or truck drove in and the turned off and he opened the door and he was smiling because he was ready to come home and see his family only to be met at the door by mom who ruined everything <laughs> because she would tell him and his whole countenance, was, countenance would change and death entered the room. <laughs> oh, some of you are raising my house too. And that dreaded, that dreaded sound of the belt coming around, around that waist. I used to think, his pants are going to fall down if he takes that belt off. <laughs> Grace and mercy were crying for it at that moment in our life. Paul understood he had tasted it. And when you have tasted great grace and mercy given to you, it's a little easier to extend it. Amen. It's easy to extend it to others, but we need to also extend it to ourselves. It's okay. I don't care what it is that you've done in your past. You will not be any worse than this man right here. From a human perspective. You won't be any worse than Paul. You won't. But the good news is, His grace and His mercy will save you. Paul tells us that the grace that sought Him and bought Him was with exceeding abundant grace. Exceeding abundant. How do you get more exceeding abundant? That's me at a buffet table. That food is exceeding and abundant. Ed and Lindsay told me about a buffet they ran into on one of their trips. They said it went at least a football field long. I'm going, hallelujah, I've died and gone to heaven. I would just get one, I wouldn't even get a plate. I'd just get a fork and just start working my way down. Whoo, can you imagine? I can't imagine. Exceeding abundant. That's what exceeding abundant looks like to me. But the great news about that is that's the type of grace and mercy that God has shown Paul and shown to us. In Romans 5.20, he talks about that grace. And when Paul says that he obtained mercy, that phrase is a passive voice. It means that and implies that he did not seek mercy. Mercy found him. Ah, I was a sinner and mercy came to find me. Woo! That's awesome. He came looking for me. He came looking for me. Aaron and I sang a song a while back. said, when God ran, God ran to us. God ran to us when we were sinners. Because He wanted to love us and encourage us and lift us up and save us. Wow. We who are saved this morning are saved because of these two gifts from a the hand of a loving God, it's God's mercy that held off His wrath. 
as we wandered away in darkness and the deadness of sin. It was His grace that reached out to us in love to confront us and to call us to Jesus. It was grace and grace alone that saved our souls. In Titus 3, 5, it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Grace is far more abundant than our sins. You aren't going to heaven by the skin of your teeth. You are going to heaven held tightly in the grip of sovereign grace. The grace was not just sufficient for the salvation of Paul's soul, but grace that is exceeding abundant to save all those who come to God by faith. And then in verse 14, we see the manifestation of Paul's conversion. When grace came, it brought with it two things, faith and love. You see it? Underline it in your Bible. When the Lord saved Paul, he was able to believe that which he had formerly denied. If you could have seen the video that Rod was going to play, Jeffrey Dahmer, probably one of the worst mass murderers in the history of this country, found Jesus Christ in prison and testifies of his belief and his loving grace that he found in Christ. And you might say, no, a guy like that can't be forgiven. Oh, yes, he can. Because Paul lived. Now, the problem is you and I have a hard time forgiving people. But don't forget. Don't forget. Just as he forgave you, we've got to extend that grace to others. The saving power of Christ can change men like Jeffrey Dahmer, Manuel Noriega, and Harold Phillips. And I believe he has the power to change you. But he brings it with faith and with love. Is that not awesome? God's grace in salvation will do for us what we can never understand. And our lives will be changed forever. And if you would look at verse 12, we find the testimony of this servant. And the reason that he was serving in verse 12, he says that he's serving the Lord because the Lord put him in the ministry, having found him faithful trustworthy, full of faith. So if you have faith, God's going to put you in a ministry. Well, I don't get up and preach. Great. Great. Because your ministry will probably be even more effective. There's times when I meet your friends and you will introduce me as your pastor and I'm honored that you do that. But, but do that on the second statement, not the first. Because once you do that, the whole tenor of the conversation changes. And I like people to just be real in who they are. If they use profanity, I, it doesn't bother me. Because it might give me a chance to witness and testify. Amen? Yeah. Just introduce me as your friend. I would count that very honorable in my life, that I'm counted as your friend. Those of us that have been saved, God chooses us and places us in ministry. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. He gifts us, gives us ministries of service. Our duty is to serve Him faithfully. But with what resources do we serve? He tells us that He's serving from a call of the Lord because God enabled Him for the task. You see, whatever you find yourself, God has enabled you to do something great for Him. 
And you may not know what that is. Ask. Whatever you enjoy doing, that's what God wants you to do for him. If you were to come by and look at my house and my flower beds, you'd notice real quick, that's not one of my gifts. I planted, I had, I had six, seven uh, plants planted. One lasted. That's it. It's pretty, but it's really ugly, the rest of it. I was glad one survived. Don't know how it did. I had to hire somebody to put them in because if I put them in, they're going to die before I even get through. But maybe you've got a gift for that. We have a wonderful Wednesday dinner. We have Lindsay Cooks for us, and I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it's just, it's just good that you use the gifts that God's given you in the place where you need to find them. You need not fear what God may call you to do because he's going to call, and he will prepare you and equip you for whatever he calls you to do. He will give you the resources to make it happen. Trust him. And then verse 16, we see, again, Paul's testimony. Paul says that the reason God chose to extend his mercy and grace toward him was to use Paul as a pattern. I like the word long-suffering. Long-suffering means that he's going to allow it to go on for a long time. The word picture is that it's a candle that's, blow, that, that's lit and burning at a very slow pace. That's the God that you and I know. That's the God that loves us with, with an eternal love. That's a God that loves us with grace and mercy, abundant, exceeding. He will save anyone who will come to Him, is what Paul's saying. And the word pattern means a sketch, an outline, a summary exposition. He's making two great statements. If God can save Paul, he can save anyone. And the second statement is, the way God saved Paul is a pattern that reveals how others are to be saved. You come to Christ. You don't have to have a light on the road to Damascus. You don't have to hear audible voices. But there's a conviction of sins and a response to that in faith to the crucified and the risen Christ. That's what you do. So Paul's saying, my life's a showpiece. God saved me and put me on display for His glory to point others to Himself. That's why He saved us. He saved us to set us out before a lost and dying world so that we could show them what, a, what salvation looks like. So how's your reflection? How's your reflection? Is God seeing your reflection, are people seeing God through you? In verse 17, Paul becomes a song leader. He remembered that he was before Jesus found him, or where he was before Jesus found him, and all that Jesus had done for him. And when he considered that, he couldn't hold back his songs of praise. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Victory in Jesus. I stand amazed in the presence. I go to the garden. 
find him there. See what I'm talking about? He calls us to sing praises to him. Every saint needs to remember that Jesus found them, where he found them, why he found them, and that he brought them through to something better. Never forget it. Oh, Christian today, never forget that whatever it was that's holding you back, whatever it was that's causing you turmoil that you can't forgive yourself from, remember, He died on the cross for it. Took care of it. It's over and done with. Hallelujah. And you can just let it go. Let it go. I told you last week, let it go. Telling you this week, let it go. Life in the trenches is tough. But you got to let it go. You've got to let it go. In John 14, when we consider where He found us, what He did for us, what He's doing in us and where He's taken us, how could we possibly hold back from singing praises to Him? You might say, Preacher, I can't sing. Roll up the windows and let her rip tater chip. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know I pulled up to the corner of some people. They're singing in their car, and I'm glad their windows are up, I'm sure. But I love to see a person singing. Just, just, just let their head, throw their head back and let it go. Amen? Good stuff. Even in church, you get people that can't sing, but they're going to sing anyway. I love it. I love it. Oh, we may not be the most polished and the fanciest looking and got lights that go down and come up and all that stuff, but we got hearts of gold, hearts sold out to Jesus. And that's all He requires, isn't it? That's all He requires. If you are saved, you have a testimony. And you have a testimony that resembles that of Paul. The Lord surely has been good and gracious to us, hasn't He? I just want to encourage each of you to live out your testimony. To live out your life of service, glory, and praise. If the Lord has touched you, an area of your life that needs work, deal with it. Deal with it today. Don't keep putting it off. Deal with it. And as soon as you do, you're going to feel Satan attacking you. You should shout hallelujah. Because that means that you've moved closer to God and Satan's got to take notice again. The black preacher I heard years ago, he said, if you don't feel the flames of hell lapping at the heels of your feet every day of your life, you're too close to Satan and not close enough to God. True. True. C.T. Studd said, most people want to build a mission somewhere. He said, I want to build a, a safe house one, uh, one, uh, 100 yards from the pits of hell so I might save one before they go through. Man, I'll tell you, that's the goal we ought to have. That's the drive we ought to have. And every believer has a testimony. And church, live the testimony. God's touched any area of your life that you need to clean up. Today would be the best time to do that. We don't have an altar in the front, but we've got chairs. And I encourage people to come and to get on your knees. And call out to God. Nobody's going to say anything to you. Nobody's going to, unless you want us to, unless you want us to pray with you. 
Now, somebody might put their arm on your shoulder and pray with you. But you know, this, this can be a morning when you can really turn loose to some things. And you say, well, preacher, I can just do that right where I'm sitting. You sure can. You sure can. But the bigger question is, will you? Will you? Paul showed us through his life that God can save anybody. I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care how many bad mistakes you've made. You've got a Jesus that's going to love you and care about you and ready with exceeding abundance to show you grace and mercy. Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for these that are here. It's no happenstance that they're here to hear this message this day. It's because you wanted them here and you needed them here. So God, I'm praying today that there will be those who will release whatever it is in their life that's bothering them, holding them back. They'll release it. They'll realize that it doesn't, that you love us no matter who we've been, what we've been. Paul's life, blasphemer, liar, murderer, and yet you found a way. You came to him. You brought grace and mercy to him when he wasn't even looking for it. So God, I'm praying that we will today come looking for it. And if we come looking, all we have to do is just look at you. You'll come running. You'll come running. And mercy will save us in our time of need. If there is someone today, Lord, that just needs to cry out to you, this front is wide open. Have them come to their knees and call out to you. And Father, if there's somebody that needs a church home, we'd love to talk to them about that. Maybe somebody that needs to be baptized. They've never, they haven't been taught what that means. Love to have the chance to sit down and open your word and go through your word and talk to them about that. Teach them. God, whatever decision they need to make to turn their life around, could today be the day of turnaround? Could today be the day of breakthrough? In Jesus' name, amen.